Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is iFanboy Booksplode, Superman for all seasons. edition of iFanboy Booksplode, Superman for All Seasons. My name is Connor Kilpatrick. I'm here with Josh Flanagan. Hey there. And for the second Booksplode in a row, we have a special guest with us. This time we brought back our old co-host, Paul Montgomery. Hello. I'm in autumn. Because Paul is a Superman superfan. And we thought, what a perfect guest to have on to talk about. Superman for All Seasons, the 1998 miniseries from Jeff Loeb, Tim Sale, and Bjorn Hansen. I could not remember what year this came out. I was reading it. I was like, when did this come out? And I thought... It must have been the 2000s. Nope, Long it was 98. It was, it was right after Batman Long Halloween made Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale superstars. And they took their microscope and turned it over to Superman in a four-issue prestige miniseries that encapsulates one season per issue, starting with spring. Spoilers, if you've never read the book, and for some reason listening, have never read the book. Let's just get into it. I mean, there's not a lot of history to talk about. It's just it was a four-issue prestige miniseries from DC Comics in 1998. And I found mm-hmm. that, and Paul and I were talking before with the show, waiting for Josh to show up. Everything is horrible right now. <laughs> I, was, I was like, wait, we were talking about... <laughs> this book made me feel better. Yes. <laughs> made me feel better about everything. My initial take on the book is this, what I said. You know, in Pulp Fiction, where John Travolta takes a sip of the milkshake and he's like, oh, that's a pretty good milkshake. <laughs> that's how I was a couple of pages in. And I was annoyed that I had to read some. I was always annoyed that I have a thing to do. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. Oh, yeah. But I read it really quickly, and I was very happy. Like, I was like, I could keep reading this. Because at first I was like, (laughs) I don't want to read the two stories at the end of my deluxe edition. I was like, all right, let's just get a little more. We'll finish those. We'll go for it. And I was like, that was it? Because it was a perfect thing of beauty in a way that, I haven't read this, I don't think, since originally. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I really liked it then, but I did not have the appreciation for the medium, nor had I read 24 years worth of substandard comics at that point <laughs> that I could then go back and go, oh, the Superman thing that everybody can't do yep. is this. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem difficult. Yeah, it, it feels effortless in a way. It's a bit of a cheat. It's not an ongoing, you know, no. serialized no. story. And you can only tell this kind of story so many times. But you can inject this into the thing. And that is what doesn't happen. Right. But I, I don't know. Like, it, it's special. So This embraces the timeless quality and the inherent yes. goodness of Superman. It doesn't feel the need to make Superman weak. It doesn't feel the need to make him... He is full of doubt here because he's young. It doesn't feel the need to diminish Superman. It's perfectly happy with the way Superman is. And celebrates yeah. that. And the, the whole thing is about his search for goodness. You know, he it starts off the spring story. He's in high school. He's a senior. He's about to graduate. And, you know, 
he doesn't know what this means to be Superman. He, and he's sort of gaining his powers through that first story. He's already strong and can fly, but now he's got X-ray vision and he can hear, you know, he's got a super hearing. And then you know, this whole, the whole journey sort of takes us through uh, his discovery of himself. Before we really get into the book, I, I had a thought that, Josh, you, what you just said sparked it in my brain again. We've been doing a lot of nostalgia acts on this Booksplode show, right? The last couple of years have been really sort of diving into stuff from the last you know, 20, 30 years prior or 10 years prior. And we have often talked on the Pick of the Week show about how the last great Golden Age of Comics was 2000, 2009, that sort of era. And, and I would even mm-hmm. stretch it out, maybe 95 to 2009. I feel like at that point in time, we were having like these kind of game-changing works coming out semi-regularly. It doesn't seem to happen anymore. I mean, I think that one thing here is that this is a reaction because it's early enough, this is yeah. a reaction to the 90s, sure. which was dark, grim, gritty, that kind of art. I mean, at this point in comics, having an artist like Tim Sale, if they hadn't had a breakout on The Long Halloween, this this book doesn't happen. In fact, I'm surprised that, because people, we've heard from lots of people well into the 2000s, oh, this is too cartoony, you can't do this. Right. And, you know, this was so stylistic that it, it was really unusual. Like, I know we look at it now and we're like, oh, it's just one of these kind of things. But, you know, this is really unusual. This is not standard stuff art-wise. Well, they did like six of these, the two yeah. of them. They did three, like four at Marvel mm-hmm. and Long Halloween. Like, they were pumping them out in that early part of the century. And they were all very, very good. And they were all showstoppers. And I feel like mm-hmm. we kept we had a regular cadence of showstopping comics coming out in that period. I don't know why we don't anymore. I also think that we've greatly devalued Jeff Loeb's work over the year. The oh, years. for sure. I, it, not everything he did was great. I think we can all agree no. on that. No but one he's does. He certainly had, I mean, this is, it's great. You know, he he's done some amazing work. There was a time period in the 2008, 9, 10 era where if his name came up, a great portion of the fan base spit. Yes. And I don't know why. Because, I mean, Red Hulk Long was Halloween, fun as hell. Superman for All Seasons, <laughs> Spider-Man Blue, Daredevil Yellow, Hulk Gray, Captain America White came out later, and Red Hulk, which is super fun. It's like, it's like five or six classic. Well, Red Hulk is probably not a classic, but five or six terrific books. I don't understand why. But if you were to go and look at like his sort of regular output, like the regular monthly kind of stuff, I don't know that that stuff was all that memorable. No, but I mean, I don't think it warrants the uh, the fan reaction when you say his name. I think, and some of it's bound up into the TV stuff, like yeah. more recently. But I, but yeah, I think I know that this is looked on reverently. This book at this point, yeah. but I don't feel like it's talked about as much as Long Halloween. No, it should be. Part of that is just that it's you know it's Batman, right? Like Batman's always going to be a little bit more exciting. Batman, yes, it's, it's 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 the sexier title. It's it's the but it's almost like this book is taken for granted because it's it's so good. And you mentioned the Marvel stuff, Daredevil Yellow and Spider-Man Blue and stuff. When you just sort of deconstruct it like that, it sounds very gimmicky. But it's actually a very strong way to format these books. And there's an elegance to them that it's a very simple concept done really, really well. And, you know, beyond the seasons thing, I think, you know, Tim Sale is in this particular book doing the doing the Norman Rockwell thing. Yep. Yeah. And like you said, Josh, very just visually interesting and unlike anything that was coming out at the time. So it does feel really special. 
two points there. One, mm-hmm. I think that we're talking about Jeff Loeb and, and Tim Sale, and I think that one of the big stories here is Bjorn Hansen, who is on Colors. Yep. And I, yep. I, I, I have forgotten that name. I remember it, saying it out loud, seeing it in print. I was like, right. But it's not a person who works anymore. But the coloring in this is... The other books, the Marvel books, are all color-based or whatever. But the palette in this thing is, you know, as perfect of coloring as you can have on something. I don't know how he did it. I don't know if it's digital or if it's watercolored. I think it's fake watercolor, probably. Yeah, there's like at least a watercolor effect, and there's also yeah stuff like the blur stuff, like the great page with the standoff with the terrorist and Superman really fast. You know, disarms him, yeah, and that sort of feels like a crayon almost, or like a like a chalk pastel. There's some really interesting like mixed media kind of things going on there. But and, and I mentioned the Norman Rockwell thing. That's in composition, but it's not necessarily in style. There's definitely mm-hmm. Norman Rockwell paintings that they're aping there, like Clark sitting at the counter of the the diner uh, with his back to us. The uh, the family, you know, sitting around the table carving the turkey classic norman rockwell saturday evening post images but they're not the coloring isn't aping norman rockwell necessarily it's doing its own thing it's very cohesive without feeling like it's just we're, we're doing norman rockwell and that's it there's something else going on there and it just there are pages where you turn the page and when you mention coloring i think the first thing you think of with this particular book is that image of the two of them clark and and jonathan looking out at the horizon over the farm and those pinks in the skies and everything. And it's so striking. And this was just such a joy, as you said, to read. Part of me is, is thinking when I look at the coloring, like it would be very surprising if this was digital, given the fact of when it was done. Digital coloring oh, yeah. in the late nineties was not good. No. I mean, if you think <laughs> what it looked like when Lynn Varley moved over to it yeah. on um, the Dark Knight Strikes again, you know, and how I think I want to say Laura Martin was probably the trendsetter. And that was a completely different style of that. So if this is Photoshop coloring, it is years ahead of its time because there's none of that digital crap that we saw all over the place that ruined and eh, not ruined, but that made a lot of those comics not age well, I guess. In particular, there's, there's a period of Marvel of Yes. You know, in the 2000s with the Hi-fi. digital coloring that just so yeah. muddy and, yeah, it's tough. Well, Bjorn Hansen was nominated for an Eisner for this book. Should have surprising. Been. I suspect it's analog. And then one other point that I wanted to make is that when we do talk back about, this is sort of unrelated to the other thing, I think that this book got eclipsed by All-Star Superman. I think that yes. All-Star Superman took the place that this book had. They have a shitload in common. You yep. know, when you want to talk about Tim Sale to Frank Quitely, but if we had to, uh, you know, put in the cool guy hipster factor, then, you know, quite Lee and Morrison win because mm-hmm. uh, at least Jeff Loeb sort of fell out of fashion. But, you know, it does Americana without making you feel terrible about it. Well, I, I thought about that a lot while reading this. Book yeah, because uh, one of my favorite things about the book is the way that Tim Sale draws Superman to be this like incredibly large oafish character. Mm-hmm. And the only other person I can think of that does that to that extent is Quietly in also Superman. The, the image that is always going around of Quietly, how he drew Clark and his posture versus yeah. how Superman's posture was. And it's, yeah, it's it's something that has a lot of character to it. And I don't know if, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know historically, does Quietly come to that point on Superman without this book? Or he, he certainly comes about it a little bit differently. I 
tended to think of Quitely's figures as being almost scrawny, though. Like, if, yeah. you, if I think back to when I first saw him, which would have been on one of the X-Men books or whatever, like, everyone was kind of slight or skeletal. Sure. So that doesn't really seem like a style. So he, he might have been influenced by this to a certain extent. You know, in that, in that same vein, when we talk about Superman being, you know, really bulky, there's a bit at the end where he's Clark, and he's in Smallville, and they're recovering from the flood, and they're all at, I don't know, it was like a vigil or something like that. And there's a lineup of all the people. Yep. And he's gigantic mm-hmm. compared to everybody. And I oh, just yeah. thought, that's really interesting because everybody knows, and this is the thing that goes on forever, like, wouldn't you know that he's him? And like, wouldn't these people? But I think that if you take it from a non-literal point of view, like, he's just one of them and they don't notice it, even though he's larger than life. He's a big old farm boy. It's also a psychological thing. Right. Like it you becomes don't- a metaphor. He's hiding in plain sight. Yeah, yeah. And you I don't like... allow yourself to think that he's Superman. Yeah, and as soon as I start to go, well, wouldn't they know? Like, I was like, that ruins it. There's no point in doing that. It's a visual that's supposed to this mean something. This is a magic of Superman. Yes. You either buy into the glasses or you don't. And if you don't buy in the glasses, then I don't know why you're reading comics. Because that's sort of the magic <laughs> of the thing. It, yeah, it's magic. There's a thing here, not a thing, there's a scene here when Lois finds the note that Clark is writing to his family and he's he mentions LL and she thinks that he's talking about her, but it's, he's talking about Lana. And Clark yep. comes up behind her and says, Lois, that's personal. He is like two and a half feet taller than her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just love that they they just play with him as... And the thing is, he's not the rock. You know, He's not like cut out of granite. He's just a mm-hmm. a big guy who's been throwing hay bales around. He's got big paws, is how I really think of him. There's a, a yeah. mastiff puppy that lives across the street. Not by himself. He has a family. But <laughs> that uh, he's, like, not a year old yet, and he's so awkward-looking. His feet are mm-hmm. too big, and he's just kind of – he's got this weird stride, and that's what this Clark makes me think of. And there's the the bit on the, um, on the porch where uh, he's sitting with Ma Kent, and they're just sort of, like, like cuddled up together, and – the way he wears a suit, it's just like it's just mm-hmm. sort of like draped on him. He looks awkward in normal life. It's really interesting that none of the characters, certainly not when he's Clark, ever comment on the fact that he's gigantic. Right. And I think right. that has something mm-hmm. to do with it. Because even Superman aside, if he was a huge person like that, that's all he would hear is how big he is. How's the weather up there? You know, mm-hmm. you, what are you, you should play football. You know, like, it's just this accepted fact of this giant man. And if I think of it as a visual metaphor, I like it so much more. Right. Because you're talking about, like, like imagine that size represents his goodness. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's just bigger than he's everyone. He's concave. Like, the way he holds himself, like, mm-hmm. he doesn't stand up. Yeah. It's that posture. He's trying to be smaller so he could, like, fit in, and he's trying to be invisible when he's Clark. But then when you see him as Superman flying through, he's got that barrel chest. Yeah. And, like, his, like, figure changes and the, the way that suit fits him. When he says, Lois, that's personal, he does become yeah. that person. Yeah. And that page right. is the one that's sort of separate, you know, and he dwarfs her. He's five times the person she is. <laughs> And for a second, like, last two pages, his eyebrows are, it's like, he's mad. And yeah. you're very mm-hmm. unused to seeing Clark Kent angry, like a human. And also, there is no romance with Lois in this whatsoever. He asks her to dinner a couple of times, but eh, they haven't started dating. This is a right. It's early on. When she passes out from the virus, yeah. 
there's a that great close up where he like swoops her up in his in his arms and he's terrified and they have that sort of their lips almost touching. He's so close to her because he's very so afraid suggestive, he's going to lose her. Yes, it's somewhat like the cartoon where there was no real romance between them either. Mm-hmm. The, the like the flirty cartoon. at best. There's a thing in here that I didn't expect, but they made a big deal out of it's a turning point. Is that he reveals himself to Lana Lang, and then when her letter, her portion of narration comes up, then she, that it all hinges on that. She's like, that's when everything changed, and she leaves the next day. And I was like, that's friggin' great storytelling. Yep. Because it's the opposite of what you would expect to happen. Everything about it, you know? And I, I had forgotten about that as sort of a story turn, but it's just a really intelligent beat. I don't know if that's necessarily considered canon. I know they drifted apart, but it's a good reason for them to drift apart. In the way, or at least her reason. She changes depending on. Well, yeah, I, yeah. I don't even. The last time I saw her in a comic it was when they gave her that superpowers. God, why'd they do that? Oh, she was Superwoman. <laughs> what do you mean, why did she do that? I mean, come on, it's comics. Of course I they know, did just, that. They don't need to give everyone superpowers. Some people can be okay never having superpowers. That storyline, almost in a way, is like kind of the progenitor for the Jane Foster as Thor kind of story, almost. It's like, it, it definitely didn't have the fanfare that Much you know, less the Thor memorable. story had, but yeah. This feels like DC should feel, the way that yeah. DC doesn't feel anymore. It's at least one of the ways it should feel Yeah, more often. DC works really, really well in these retro-modern, is it 2002, is it 1957? Like, it, it could be either. It's also sort of the way that so much TV is made now. You know, there's so much hmm. television, especially stuff made for teens, is like, it's set in this nebulous time in which there are cell phones, but people don't really use them, and it's also like the 1950s kind of, like... It's this weird trend that isn't t- television right now. It's, and it's the way that DC, like Batman the Animated Series was like that. And, and this book is like that. I mean, this book isn't set now, but it could be set now. But it also the way Clark is dressed at the beginning of this book, it's like 1945. Mm-hmm. Right. You know. He's got the varsity jacket. and There's like jalopies and things. But then when he goes to Metropolis, it's, it's a modern city with modern things. And so it makes sense in this world. And I think that's really where DC really thrives is in this in this sort of throwback milieu. You know, the Art Nouveau kind of thing. With, yeah. yeah. I'm guessing it's really difficult to incorporate that into sort of the ongoing books. If you have Superman involved with the Flash and the Justice League, all that kind of falls apart. So I feel like they save that kind of Superman for sure. a, quote, very special event. You know, it's... The, the timeless mini- Superman? Well, you know, it's like the it's like the big TV miniseries of the old days. You know, that's kind of what this is. It's because they can't keep up that sort of beautiful reverence and and poetry all the time in the in the because of the way that the ongoings move it just doesn't lend itself to that maybe that's why they're always disappointing with all due respect to everyone making comics because it's all very hard not everyone's this good true mm-hmm. you know we talked about that way back when we were reviewing batman and robin what issues one through three when they were all pick of the week it's like why aren't all comics this good because not everyone making them are this good nor could the people who are this good keep it up at this level no. You know, like, if your favorite band had to make an album every six months, they would suck. You know? <laughs> yeah. Right. And this is very self-contained. It's got the, it has the four seasons thing. It has a beginning, middle, and end without being, like, the ultimate Superman story. And I like that. I, I like that it, it doesn't feel like it has to do, the, like you said, the lowest romance. You don't have to get to that part of the story. Mm-hmm. There's a They focus on a different dynamic, this sort of His Girl Friday kind of. Yeah, the professional you know. rivalry. She's the woman of the city. She wears a lot of black. She's hip and stylish, and he's the giant country boy, but he still manages to continually scoop her. 
And they don't feel like it's necessary to do like the love triangle storyline. Yeah. It's not about that. It's just about how no. different people with very different sensibilities and backgrounds view this one character. And I love the narration in this. I enjoy aspects of Long Halloween and some of the other big hitter Jeff Loeb, Tim Sale books. But for this, I think this script is so good. It's so sharp. It has so much character to that narration. I love comics or in movies too, where you have that narration that it's thematically attached to what you're seeing on screen, but it's not directly linked to it. Mm-hmm. It's like you know listening to somebody do a, a monologue, a great soliloquy about this character, and it's so rich. And so I, I really enjoyed the, the script a lot. And like we said, there, there's some page turns here where you just you know your jaw drops it. Some yes. of these double page spreads. Yeah, there's a regular rhythm of double page spreads here that just one after another. I'm looking at the one now where, where Clark and Lun are flying over Smallville, and um, the bit where just, he stops you, the train. Yeah, and you cut, and, yeah. and then the, you know the cut after that is that uh, you know there's the, just the two handprints in the front of it. That was the first one that really sort of was like, wow, you know, there's not like a ton going on in it. It's not like a lot of times we will look at you know, comic, oh, this is so detailed or whatever. And it is where it needs to be. But that is just a very simple, striking image, you know, that, that impactful scale and whatever. And also, I, I want to finish uh, just the thought on the narration. It can go badly or at least be boring really easily. And I think that the compliment that I would have for this work is that it, at no point was I aware of that narration or that somebody was writing it. And I wasn't thinking about it. I was just... I mean, like the most it was, it was like, well, who's this talking now? You know, and and they don't give it to you right away. You kind of have to wait for it, you know, in some instances. It was so naturalistic. And each voice, I don't know, they may have been written the same, but it sounded like a different person. Yeah, so it was Pa Kent was the spring narrator. Lois Mm -hmm. was the summer narrator. Lex was the fall narrator. And then Lana was the winter narrator. And it's never Clark, which I think is is a great choice. That's great. Back to the visual. I mean, you talked about it's not always detailed, but when it is detailed, I'm looking at the, the scene towards the end where they're Lana and Pete and Clark go back to the general store. Oh, in that little store with the lunch yeah. counter is just every time you're in there, you're like, this is just beautiful. Like every little thing on the shelves and the world feels lived in and the floor seems a little dirty. And yeah, uh, I felt like a like when I was a little kid reading like a, a Richard Scarry picture book where you're just like pouring over every detail on the page and the other thing is it's 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 also very bespoke it's very like the word you use josh was analog so not just to distinguish it from digital but just like you can feel the person's hand there it's, it's not perfect circles it's not perfect yeah. shapes uh the lettering isn't like he, it's not painstaking sat there with a protractor or anything and there's something about that that makes it feel more like a like a country store where things aren't perfect it should. Angles aren't perfectly square. I think there's a really good chance that if, if you don't know, if you, if perchance you haven't been studying and thinking about comic book storytelling for a quarter of a century, I don't know how it may, because I read this when I, you know, before I did that. And so I can say, oh, it looks cool, but I didn't know what I was looking for. You know, that was the most I could do. And I think that these kind of images, these uh, cartoony sort of shapes and these non-realistic depictions, I I still need better words, this impressionistic, cartoony, you Mm. know, I don't know that they're all that attractive, you know, at the time. Or that I would understand, you know, what it is about it. Because it's not, you know, at the time, I liked Todd McFarlane and John Byrne 
and you know alan davis and this is such a departure from that stuff that you know it's taken me such a long time that when i go back and look at it now i can see so much else going on you know that it is very subtle just great storytelling stuff it's like the the jack kirby or or ditko yes. thing yeah. like there's at a certain age you might not and with certain context or removed from a certain context you don't appreciate but what's time, going on people, there people maybe couldn't necessarily articulate it but they felt it obviously because they were huge sure you know we should mention we, we talked about the lettering richard starking was the letter we didn't mention him in the beginning he was the guy he was like the high test dude that you did when digital was new and then the yeah. analog stuff you went with workman and todd klein yeah <laughs> He does that great trick with the with the word balloons where there's they're really small, unlike especially mm-hmm. like a, like a big character like uh, Lex or Superman, and and you kind of have to lean in and look at it and like you get the sense of like oh he's he's, he's like whispering or oh you you it, it pulls in your attention. I like right. that trick. I love how spare it is and that yeah, you know Loeb is clearly writing for the artist, which is Tim Sale does these big panels. And he doesn't feel the need to fill them with dialogue. Yes. Yeah. Well, especially compared to a lot of books you read now. Like one, one, one or two dialogue balloons, one caption box maybe, or nothing. There are no pages that are like overdone. Because a lot of even really good comic artists will have to sacrifice a page to exposition and fill it up with crap. And you can see it. Like you just turn the page, you can see it. This does not exist in this book. Everything, you know, is paced properly and there aren't concessions to sort of like well i got to get this work done it, it just works it's part of it and there's places where it looks kind of heavy but it's never it never feels like that here i can come up with one criticism mm-hmm. okay toxin yes <laughs> <laughs> there's a, and i you know just so that we don't we don't it was you know, 1998 i'm wondering if like that was a hey we'll make this cool or is that a comment on what was going on toxin is a woman that's that interesting superman saved early on and she was like he saved my life he's the best thing ever and lex Luthor then co-ops that my angel and turns her into a superhero with a name toxin who looks like a villain Mm-hmm. he has a whole thing about poisoning the people and she's the antidote, which is weird that you'd name her toxin, but you know, like she's got her butt hanging out and it's she just... did poison in the first place. So, right. But she didn't know she was trying. No, to... no, but she, she was know. the reason. Right. She's all messed up, but like, there's like a bit where they land and she's only on it for a couple of pages. She's sitting down and you can just see her ass. And I was like, what is this doing here? It totally threw me out of it. Cause it just, didn't fit with any of the other art in here, and I just thought that was felt like a misstep style. And it starts with she's getting experimented on. He's got her eyes, you know, yeah. open like 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 Clockwork Orange style, and that felt like oh, that's a shift. And yeah, so I, I'm curious if that's sort of because there are several different exercises uh, depictions of Superman as a wholesome or as a boring character versus what's going on in the 90s or what's going on in the early 2000s, the edgy stuff. And, like, we see that play with a bunch of that. But here it's not, like, obvious what the intention is or if that's the intention. And even if it is that intention, I think it's a misstep because it doesn't fit. Yeah. If I start thinking about it, I think you could cut most of that out. Well, luckily it's, it's like four pages. Oh, it's, and it's, yeah, like half, it's half baked for, like, a four-issue series mm-hmm. like this. What is interesting yeah. is not developed enough. If it is a reaction, if not, either way, if this is only six years after the death of Superman, mm-hmm. you know, this is I was only thinking that, yeah. only a handful of years after Mullet Superman, and all that came with it. And so, like, 
This was, I mean, I read this at the time. I was reading comics at the time. I was going weekly at the time, but I, I don't remember exactly. But this felt like a reset of the character. Yeah, and it's six years before A New Frontier. Right. But this feels like one oh, of those wow. books where, like, <laughs> it's like, you know what? We've lost our way with Superman. Here is what Superman should be. And you don't necessarily need to use that template in everything, but you need to keep that core in it. Like, we yes. always talk about Jeff Johns, like, what's the main theme? And right. not what you do isn't going to be the same as everybody else. But if you have this, you, you figure out what the kernel of this thing is, and you keep that in your book with Superman, then you're going to have more success than if you don't. Yeah. You know what? Another sort of way to look at it, too, is that this makes a beautiful story and sort of origin, or at least a character study of this. And imagine if, which they did it in the original Superman, the motion picture. I think that's the closest to this thing. Like, why didn't they do this on any of the Superman movies that followed? Like, when they re- I know, like, I know why. No, it's crazy. But, like, when you think about, like, when they came back and they had Zack Snyder do that Superman movie, it's the farthest possible thing from this. And I don't know if that's just us. Is this our aesthetic? <laughs> the Man of Steel trailer felt like this. And that was, the, that was one of the biggest whiplashes. The whole promotional thing for Man of Steel was such a roller coaster. Oh, man, this is going to be terrible. Oh, this could be neat. Oh, oh look at that trailer. Do you see that trailer? It's got this, like, Terrence Malick thing going on. And then... They screwed uh... me so bad that when I saw the movie, I thought I liked it for a little bit. Yeah. Because I wanted to so much. We have talked a little bit about, you know, it's it's bizarre that the the world can so fall in love with Captain America. Yeah. Who is portrayed as wholesome and aw shucks as Superman is here. Yeah, but for whatever sure. reason, Warner Brothers feels the need to constantly make Superman edgy. And I will say, the TV show the, the, is much the closer to this. The, the Superman and Lois TV show right now oh, okay. is much closer to this. In yes. fact, they even take a scene out of this book huh. in, the, in the TV show. He saves a kid from getting hit by a car, and the kid says, cool oh, costume, so and he, he says, my mom made it for me. They did that word for word in the TV show. Can we talk about Trevor Burbank and where his parents are? <laughs> what <laughs> is going Burbank on with this kid? Is an insurance nightmare. <laughs> it's like every time. And it's, I think we can call that a misstep, you know, along with Toxin. I don't think it was a misstep. No, I don't either. Uh, I kind of laughed Visually. Visually, like, it was just a strange choice. Like, it makes no sense that this kid only plays... On, his bike is on the ledge of a skyscraper. <laughs> Not only that, it's snowing. It's yeah. slippery. And he only plays... This kid has issues. Yeah, <laughs> It's very disorienting visually. He's, why is this kid dressed like Poochie and he's out on this ledge in the snow and it's like the, just like the perspective doesn't work the one at the beginning i thought that's odd he's chasing a cat with a baseball glove yeah. on and then the second time i was like he's up there again the kid is back on the escalator <laughs> you just reminded me that still a great joke reminded me that kevin smith did something funny that was a great joke <laughs> just, just jason lee <laughs> he nailed that I thought it was funny the second time, you know? Like, yes. It's like, you it's know cute. what? Fine. I, but this is part of what I was saying. Like, in the first issue, Clark is straight out of Norman Walk, well, 1945. This kid is dressed like it's 1997. He's got the baggy jeans and the chain and the backwards hat. So it exists anywhere in time. It's a nebulous time frame. This, like, this kid is like straight out of like a, like, I don't know, like a one-sheet comic you get in the D.A.R.E. program. 
in school. Like he's 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 just like quintessential like attitude kid nineties. He's does he have a chain wallet? He has a chain wallet. Yes, the second time he has a chain wallet. Everybody had yeah. chain wallets then. I had a chain wallet then. Yeah, yeah. It also reminded me going back to All Star Superman. It reminded me of the girl on the ledge. Yeah, you know that has the heart to heart with Superman. So there's, I think there's much more is, here is than I remember there being yeah. in that mm-hmm. book. Could we talk a little bit about maybe reading this in 2022 and Lex? What about him? Go on. Does he strike you in a certain way? I don't know. What do you mean? And this isn't the first time, historically. I mean, DC has done the, like, President Lex stuff. and Or, like, the... No, no. I'm saying he no. looks like Trump. I see what you're saying, but he's always had red hair. Yep. He's looked like that. Go back to Burn. Right, but they, they did that that book where it's it's aping the art of the deal. Yeah, but that was burn, and it was much more straightforward. The thing is this, is they knew all along that Trump was a doofus. Sure. Like in the That's 80s, all I'm saying. Like he was considered to be a clown, and they don't play Lex. They should never play Lex like a clown outside of the original motion picture and when we let them get away with it. But he's not that mm-hmm. here. So maybe there's a hint to it visually, but I think that you are connecting dots that aren't there. I'm just seeing what I want to be seeing. I think Josh had the same volume. Did you guys have the volume with the extra stories in the back? I did. I have read those before. I, I didn't have that edition this time. The Comixology version doesn't have that. Oh. Josh, you have that one? I do, and I read This is the one with uh, Bruce meeting Clark for the first time? It has three stories. It has Clark asking Lana to the prom. It has when Clark met Bruce, and then it has the story that Jeff did as a tribute to his son, Sam. Right. And they were all great. Yeah, the... Meeting Bruce, I mean, it's slight. It's from Solo. It's it's two-page yep. spread. So it's not, not two-page spread, but it's two-page it's two pages, story. Yeah. It's like pancakes. Yeah. Although yeah. it has much less structure than that. Yep. Solo was a great comic. You know, yes. I missed it completely. That's a great project. Yeah, it, it was. Mark Chiarello. They shit-canned him. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I think the Lana one is... is you know, it's the most complete of all of those. I think they all offer something. I mean, the Clark yes. met Bruce one, I think, is strong for the even just the sort of black and white shots of Bruce in the back of that car. He sees them in the top panel, Clark and Pete playing baseball. And there's just so much sadness in that drawing. I think that's a great drawing. Since it's been a while, is Clark playing baseball? Mm. Yep. And then Bruce is in the car. Is this before the parents were killed or After. After. After, okay. Yeah. yeah. Alfred and Bruce are on a road trip to try to cheer him up. And the car breaks down in Smallville. The thing that stuck out of me of that is that by the time we got to California, I convinced Alfred that it would be a good idea to fly home. And I was like, what did he do to make Alfred get <laughs> <laughs> Didn't care about it. Because that happened. Changing the radio like At stations. some point, Alfred just, Alfred just went, fine. <laughs> and he flew him home. And I want, him to, I want that scene. And they left the car. Like, he'd had enough. Yeah. Keeps telling him to pull over so he can solve a different mystery. Sam's story, which is a really, you know, wonderful tribute to Jeff's son, made me tear up a little bit. If only because, you know, you know the, the pain in it. But it was a, it's a it's sweet a really story. sad, sad story. But the Lana prom story is, is probably the most, it feels the most part of the, the previous comic. Yeah. When he gets covered with mud. He asks her out to the prom, stays up for the tux, and then helping a woman's stuck car, he gets covered in mud. And he has to f- And she's an awful woman. Yes, she is. All small town Americana stories have one of those witch ladies in them. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> Sam's story features a cameo by Mary Jane Watson and Gwen Stacy from Spider-Man Blue. Oh, cool. Is this the book you hand someone when they say, why is Superman good? Or give me a great Superman story. Is this the book you hand somebody? I don't know if it's going to change it depends on who the person anybody's... It, yeah, well, if someone says, what, what's a great Superman story I should read? Is this the book you're going to say first? Or what, where does this fall in the sort of thing? Definitely up there. And, it, you know, it's it's annoying, but, like, it depends on the person. <laughs> like it, it depends on what they're looking for. I think it's a better example than All-Star Superman, for sure. Because I find that to be more avant-garde. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely some stuff in All Star Superman that's a little more. It's more advanced. It's a little yeah. It's more advanced. It's it's yes. not the entry level course. But this has a lot of the stuff that I love about the core Superman concept. Whereas All Star Superman is more advanced because it gets into the weirder stuff about Superman, but could also be like more confusing or even more off putting to someone who is maybe not as receptive as not you know bought in yet i think you have to buy in yeah you you have have to buy buy into this and this has to be attractive to you which is a tall order for people i think now certainly younger than us i don't because it's it's so fraught now i think if they do like it that's a good sign that they're cool (laughs) that they're like a neat person that you'd want (laughs) to hang out with or not cool right but does that mean they're cool or not cool in the objective sense of the word? And I mean, our cool. <laughs> right. Which isn't good. Like, like Not their like cool. I also just think there's just some great craft in here. Yep. Okay, so the first time you see the image of Clark in his room back in Smallville, and he's overhearing Mon Pa Kent talking about him, and they're saying, do you think you can hear us? And, and just that there's all levels of comic storytelling – coming together to do something cool that only comics can do. That's right. always fun to see. But then you revisit that same angle where he's lying in bed when he ends up in Metropolis and you see his apartment and he has the same sort of setup in his room, but the the coloring is different. It's a different context going on. And here in the narration, it says, where does he go when he's not keeping a bridge from collapsing or stopping a train from derailing or answering a child's cry for help? And just... It's subtle, but like that, or answering a child's cry for help is over that image of him lying in the room with the window open. So you know that if a child were to cry for help, he would be able to hear because that previous If a kid were to perhaps play baseball on a ledge. (laughs) Playing baseball. (laughs) I love that panel so much. On an icy, snowy ledge. Just eating a peanut butter sandwich in bed with the window open. And you could almost hear the cars honking. Yeah. If it was a film, you'd hear the sound, you know, the crowd noise and you'd hear it. But he was content in the bed with his sandwich. He's got a little TV. It's not facing the bed. It's facing away from the bed. He's just enjoying a moment. It's that whole that whole Samaritan Astro City thing. You know, it's like he's enjoying a moment. Yes. For just a moment, he gets to lay down and have a sandwich and not worry about anything. You know, what's kind of interesting is that if you think about like one of the themes that keeps coming back in Superman now is like, how can I do more? There's always something else. It's a very modern mm-hmm. perspective where right. you can't ever get to all of it. And, and you know, how much does that reflect what modern life feels like? I yep. just can't get to all of it. And the stress that comes along with that. But this is more, I'm going to do as much good as I can, and, 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 and I'm going to try to f- feel okay. You know, like, because that's the thing I'm supposed to be doing. There's so much less ennui and anxiety behind it. And it's not so much about getting to do as much good as you can in v- quantity, but just like giving the best that you 
the most you can do. Right. I'm not phrasing it well. No, no, you're right. No, you're right. There's a great sequence in here in the Lex issue where if someone was like, there's no conflict with Superman. He can, he has all the powers. He can do anything. There's no drama to that. So Lex has this, this virus out there. And he's saying in the narration, he can bend steel until he is blue in the face. He can see through walls clear to China. He can even fly from here to the moon for all the good it will do him. Like a Dalmatian tied to the front of an empty fire engine, smelling the smoke, pulling ferociously at the leash, barking at the wind, there will be no one left to say thank you. So I think I actually skipped a page there. But the idea that you have all this, but you can't be everywhere all at once. Right. You can't fix Mm -hmm. everything but you have the capacity but you just don't have the the scope you know Mm -hmm. like you can you can do all these impossible things but you can't do all of the impossible things at all times and he's spinning plates that's always been the thing that about superman is that if you only are invested in the powers aspect of it then yeah he can do anything he's unbeatable but that's not what makes him interesting it's what he does with those powers that makes him interesting it's what the limitations are. It's what the downsides are. He's pretty melancholy mm. in this book. And that's that's sort of my favorite Superman. Yeah. Lois's sort of motif is, is sort of like she's saying, if a person has all this power, why don't they do just whatever they want? But he chooses to do these things. That question reveals more about the questioner than Superman. Right. Because Lois is a skeptical person and she can be calculating and transactional and that's not superman but and it's also not like the complete lowest story it's just like her having her finding an insight about this character that looms so large in her life and she's so large in in his life but it's, it's just about these characters not necessarily finding the ultimate lesson of life itself it's just seeing you know that little spark that little something you know Something clicks for them in that moment. That's what I love about these scripts. Well, I think it's a great place to end our discussion on Superman for all seasons. Let's do ratings on it out of five. Out of five, okay. Out of five. Five. It's a five. First page, I went five. Right away, I went five. (laughs) It's a great book. It's a really, really great book. If you haven't read it like we have in decades, and you're a more mature, older comic reader now, read it again if you've never read it read it for the first time it's a great superman story yeah if you're feeling like i don't know discouraged or like even even just about like not even just about the world but just like maybe jaded about like comics or like you haven't been reading anything great like this is so refreshing what this made me want to do was read a bunch of more of these kind of books you know Mm -hmm. like i want to go back and reread their marvel stuff which i haven't read in forever and i want to read some more of the the all-time books that were coming out in that era that, but again, I just don't think are coming out now for various reasons. There was so many things that sort of, cha- I don't want to say changed the genre, but you know, elevated it in that time. And this is one of them. You got to read it again. If you've read it before, read it again. That's iFanboy Booksplode. It's the sister show to the Talksplode show, Josh's interview show. Those both shows were unlocked by the patrons at patreon.com slash iFanboy. They also unlocked the monthly media Splode show. And we, of course, we have our regular... Pick of the Week show, which Josh and I, sometimes a special guest, talk about the week's comics. And also, Paul and I will get together with our buddy Ryan Haupt and talk about animation, which we're doing also this month with mm-hmm. House of Mystery release. All those shows are at fanboy.com. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Thanks for being a patron. If you were unlocking the show, thank you. And we'll be back in two months with another Booksplode. And until then, I'm Connor. Mm-hmm.
I'm Paul. I'm Josh. Thanks, everyone. That kid is back on the escalator again. Leave it alone. What?